Great. Thanks, Scott. Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we do thank you and praise you for your salvation that you have given to us. Lord, that you died, that we have life. And Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your spirit that dwells within us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning, Lord, that your spirit may quicken our minds and hearts. Lord, that we may know your will and purpose for our lives. And Lord, that we may seek to be obedient to you. Lord, I thank you for your word that you have given to us. And I pray, Lord, that we will live in accordance with your word. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being up here this morning. I pray, Lord, that everything that I say honors and glorifies your name. And Lord, I just pray that I'll be in tune with your spirit. And I thank you and praise you in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. 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 <laughs> That's what I love. <laughs> I, I preach often at the Haven Arrest, and uh, one of the things I love about preaching at the Haven Arrest is, man, people respond. So anytime you want to say amen, I'm all in on that one. So um, uh, a couple of months ago, our trustees in Montfield Township, where I live, decided that we all needed to have the same garbage collection company collect our garbage. Hey, great. You know what? I could care less who collects my garbage, right? So all of a sudden, Kimball started collecting my garbage on Friday mornings. I put the can out there on the curb. They come, they take it, put it back. And uh, about a month later, I get my first bill from them. I open it up and it says, congratulations. Welcome to the Kimball family. We are so grateful for your partnership with us. Now I look at this and I understand it's just marketing verbiage, right? But I look at this and I think, come on. Really? I'm your customer. You're getting my garbage. You're putting the garbage in the truck, and I'm paying the bill, right? I'm the customer. You're the vendor. I'm not part of your family. We don't have a partnership. We don't have a relationship. Just let me pay the bill. Now, you could say, what's the big deal? I mean, really, does it matter? Well, the problem is, is that when everything becomes a partnership, and those words are just loosely used, and you're always part of a family, is then it loses its meaning. Then the word partnership has no significance. And to me, the word partnership is a very powerful, intentional word. For us who are married, we are in a partnership. It's probably the most important, serious partnership you have entered into. You, with your spouse, stood up here, you faced each other before God, and you said words like, I take you to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow. Wow. I mean, that's pretty serious, right? But... You needed each other in this partnership to form a family. You couldn't form a family on your own, and the spouse couldn't form a family. And that's the nature of a partnership. Two people joined together for a common purpose in which both parties are needed to achieve that purpose, and both parties benefit from that purpose. That's the definition of a partnership. This morning, we're going to look at a partnership in the book of Philippians. It's a partnership that the Apostle Paul had with the church in Philippi. 
Now, theologians may argue this, but I believe that that church in Philippi was the crown jewel for the Apostle Paul. It was a church that he loved and it was very dear to him. The re I mean, the book starts in verse 1 by Paul saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. In almost any other of his letters, Paul asserts his apostleship. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He asserts his apostleship because he wants to make sure that people understand his authority because he's going to give them admonitions, instructions. Here, he doesn't say that. He says, we are fellow servants. Servants of Christ Jesus. Because he has no, I would say, real the admonitions to give to them. He is giving them a love letter of his deep affection for this church. And I'm going to read to you um, verses 3 through 8. And I just want you to hear the, the emotive words that Paul is expressing here to this church in Philippi. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So why does Paul feel so deeply affectionate towards this church? Well, I believe he says it in verse 5, where he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, to understand the apostle Paul, you have to understand his heart. And what drove Paul? I mean, what was most important to Paul? Well, it was Christ Jesus, right? His relationship with Christ and the proclamation of the gospel. And you see, Paul and the church of Philippi shared a common love and they shared a common purpose. The common love was Jesus. The common purpose was the proclamation of the gospel. And that was what bound those two together. And so when Paul talked about the church, he felt one with them because they had a common mission together, the proclamation of the gospel. You know, you know all you got to do is just read Paul's letters to get an understanding of the intensity of how he felt towards his commission about the gospel. I'm just going to give you a few verses. Romans 1.1 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Romans 15, 20, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. 1 Corinthians 1, 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And 1 Corinthians 9, 16, for when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. You see, Paul got fired up about the proclamation of the gospel. You know, it amazes me. We had 4,000 people yesterday, Browns fans, so fired up about their team that went 0-16 that they had a parade in basically zero-degree weather. 
Now that's what you call passion, right? But why not be passionate about something that really matters? Why not be passionate about something that is eternal? Something that really changes people's lives. And that's something that people desperately need. Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. There is salvation found in no one else under heaven than Jesus Christ. And that's why I preach this gospel. That is why I go to the ends of the earth to preach this gospel. That is why I am living and literally dying to preach the gospel. And from day one, when the gospel was preached at the church of Philippi, they were all in. Paul says that. He says, from the moment I preached the gospel, you were with me. Your heart was with me. And you've been with me ever since. And that's what bound them together. They had a common heart, a common mission, a common purpose. And Paul loved them for it. So what's the occasion of this letter? Well, let me give you a quick background here. So Paul is in, under house arrest in Rome. We know that from Acts. Okay? He's literally chained to a Roman guard 24-7. The church of uh, Philippi hears about this. They're extremely concerned about Paul's safety upon his situation. And so they send Epaphroditus. Now, we don't know anything about Epaphroditus. We assume he's a leader in the church, but we don't really know. They send him to help take care of Paul, to deliver gifts and make sure he's well taken care of. Just like as if we were to hear that J.D. Dewey was put in prison in Senegal. We would send somebody, probably, to make sure that the family's okay, everything is okay. They did the same thing. Now, it was an 800-mile journey from uh, Philippi to Rome. So this is a long journey, right? A couple months journey. This is no quick plane ride. 800 miles, Pepperditis goes there, and while he's taking care of Paul, something happens. We don't know what, but he gets deathly ill to the point that he almost dies. Now, this news gets back to the church, and they're very concerned because now not only is Paul under house arrest, but they're about ready to lose their elder. And they're very concerned, and Paul knows that they're very concerned, so he is eager to send back to them Epaphroditus. And so that's the occasion. Epaphroditus is getting ready to go back, and Paul writes a letter to send with Epaphroditus. Now, the first thing he, Paul wants to make clear in this letter is, look, I know you're concerned about me because I'm in chains, okay? Don't worry about it, right? What does he say right here in verse 12? Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, this is amazing, right? I mean, Paul is chained, literally, to a Roman guard 24-7. Me and you are chained together. You're not going anywhere, and I'm not going anywhere, right? But that's not going to stop me from preaching, and you're going to sit here and you're going to hear it. And then you're going to come in and be chained to me. And you're going to hear it. And you're going to hear it. And around the clock it goes. And Paul says, this is great. He's not sitting there sulking and saying, oh, poor me. I can't believe I'm under house arrest. He's saying, God is bringing me Roman guard to Praetorium. And they're coming to Christ. And we rejoice. Now that is a warrior right? For Jesus Christ. 
He is saying, I don't want you to be worried about me. People are coming to faith in Christ, and the whole Roman guard is aware of it. Matter of fact, Philippians 4.22, he alludes that even Caesar's household is now coming to Christ. God, he's using the opportunity that God has given him to start the church in Rome through evangelizing the Roman guard. Isn't that unbelievable? But that's exactly what Paul did. Pastor Scott has been preaching through Romans. It, do you ever think that that first church in Rome was started by the Roman guard that Paul evangelized? So, do we share the heart and the passion of the Apostle Paul? How big is our heart for the gospel? Is it Grinch size? Or is it Paul's size? Or somewhere in between? I believe our international workers have a Paul-sized heart. Because that's why they've been willing to leave their family, sell their possessions, go to a strange country. I'm standing here looking at the family of Summer Hartzler right in front of me. They understand the pain of separation. They've just celebrated Christmas without their daughter. They get it. And trust me, Summer gets it. Why do our international workers go to Burkina Faso, sell everything they have? Is it because they love the adventure? They love the food? They're crazy? No. They go because they have a Paul-sized heart to proclaim the gospel that no one is saved except those who believe in Jesus Christ alone, period. And that the world needs to hear that message. And if they don't hear the message, there are eternal consequences for not responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what Paul believed, it's what our international workers believe, and it's also, to be honest, what my wife and I believed. Pastor Scott mentioned that Katie and I were in Poland. We left a church that we loved. We sold our house. We literally sold all of our possessions. And we moved to Poland. Why? Because we believed that God had called us and that the Poles needed to clearly hear the saving message of Jesus Christ. And so while we were in Poland, we were in the city of Lublin, and we found out about another church that was 45 minutes away called Puave. And Puave was about double the size of Wadsworth, about 50,000 people. And it had one church of about 20 people, 20 very young people. Okay? So I'm looking right here, and I see about 20 people in about the first three rows. Nobody's sitting in the first row here because they're afraid I'm going to spit on them, I think. But in the next three rows, there's about 20 people. So you now are this church in Puave, the three rows I'm looking at, okay? You're it, all right? Double the size of Wadsworth, all right? You're the only evangelical voice that, that this city has, all right? It is your job to bring the gospel to the city. You're young, and also, because you're a Christian, 
you're, you're looked at very suspiciously. In fact, some of you have probably lost your jobs because your employer doesn't want a Christian. You've been ostracized from your families. And somehow you have to have the credibility and the influence and also the courage to bring forth the gospel to this community. You right now are feeling exactly how they felt. It's impossible. That's why my wife and I went to Puave every Sunday. We drove 45 minutes because we, when we realized the situation, we're like, that church needs support. They need us. We need to be there. We need to encourage them. And so we went every Sunday 45 minutes. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, but let me tell you, driving 45 minutes in Poland is not driving 45 minutes between, like, here and Brunswick. All right? I mean, they're crazy. They're nuts. Right? This was, this was quite a while ago, so they were really nuts. All the roads are double roads, single lane both ways, right? But, man, they want to pass all the time. And there is nothing to stop them from passing each other. So you're driving down the road, and there may be a car coming the other way. Get out of the way, because he's going to pass. Right? And it's not uncommon that in this twin-lane road that somebody's passing you, and coming at you is another car passing another car. Now, you can do the math. That's four cars, two lanes. Something's got to give, right? And sometimes there's bicyclists on the side and people in horse, you know, horse and buggy. They don't know. They don't care. That's why as you're going down the road, you see these big signs that say, warning, in this next mile, 30 people have been killed and 70 people injured. And sometimes the numbers were big every mile. And you're thinking, I'm taking my life in my hands. And you were. <laughs> so that's, I mean, so we did that. Every Sunday, even during the week sometimes, we went. Why? Because we cared about this church. We thought, if this church doesn't make it, there's no witness in this community. But as I was there for a couple years, I realized, okay, it's great we're here, and we love Autumn and DeRosha, but they need help. I mean, we, we've got to give them more resources. So I had pastored in England, London, six years prior, and I contacted them. I said, come 